Bible passages. Today we're going to be in the book of Joshua. And I'm going to give extra credit points to the, to the kids that have my outline. There'll be four P words. Four P words. Okay, I'm going to give them to you right now. So if you're ready to write down this outline, this might be worth two pieces of candy or a piece of candy in a bubble blower thingy do. Okay? The promise. The pattern. The proclamation. And the problem. The promise, the pattern, the proclamation, and the problem. I'm going to review these several times, so, so if you're able to take those down, uh, that would be fantastic. We do want you to listen, okay? We do want you, th this service is for the family, so I'm hoping that everyone here uh, will walk away this evening understanding the, the main point of the passage and how that applies to us, okay? So let's, let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into the message this evening. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening with thanksgiving. We thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to participate in, in the Lord's Supper this morning as a commemoration, as a symbol of what you did for us on the cross. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be eyewitnesses of three baptisms this morning, of two children and an adult that have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we bring before you the needs, the, the woman that Karen ministers to. Uh, we pray for Eve. We also pray for Brandon's neighbor, Lord, and, and, and for, for Andrea and the the conversations that she had, Lord, oh, that these would lead to further opportunities to sow seeds of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that your word is living and active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, no man can stand against it. No man can refute it. It penetrates. It divides. It judges. It discerns. That's what your word does, Lord, and help us as your children to understand that in that, in that, in your word, lays our authority as we speak your word. Now, Lord, this evening as we gather to, to listen to your word, I pray that you would grant understanding, that you would allow me to use clarity of speech and thought, and that you would continue, Lord, to edify us this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Pastor Kent started with the first half of Joshua, and, and I'm going to pick up where Pastor Kent left off. And let me just give you a brief outline of the second half of Joshua from chapters 12 to 24. This is brief. It's going to start with, in chapter 12, uh, Joshua lists the kings, the kings that, that Moses defeated and the kings that Joshua defeated. Then when we go to chapters 13 through 19, the land is being divided and given out to the tribes. So that's what's going on in chapters 13 through 19. In chapter 20, there are the cities of refuge. There's six cities that God established as cities of refuge. 
chapter 21 are the 48 cities that were given to the Levites, not as an inheritance, because the Levites didn't get an inheritance like the rest of the tribes of Israel did. Their inheritance was the Lord. We're going to talk about that one Sunday evening. But these cities were just a place that they could live and that they could, they could give their cattle a place to, to graze. Chapter 22 is what I call the altar of misunderstanding. And we're going to spend some time in chapter 22 on another Sunday. And then finally, in verses 20, uh, excuse me, chapters 23 through 24 <clears throat> are the final instructions. Uh, we see Joshua's death and we see Eleazar's death. So, that's just a brief review. We're not going to look at all these things. We're just going to, to pinpoint certain areas that I think are, would be of interest to, to us and help us as we uh, try to understand the book. <clears throat> so my, uh, the title of, of the message this evening is Pay Attention to the Details. You're not finished yet. Pay attention to the details. I used to have a chief at the fire department. He would, he would encourage us to pay attention to detail. And there's a lot of things that go on in being a firefighter other than just showing up and, and grabbing the hose when there's something on fire. He would encourage us to pay attention to detail. That's what the scripture was admonishing the children of Israel to do. Pay attention to the details. If you're like me, and I'm speaking to men, but there, this, isn't, this isn't just for men, uh, I have a problem of, of finishing projects that I start. I don't know if you're like that. I start projects, and oftentimes they don't get finished. All you got to do is ask my wife. Uh, but I turned over a new leaf when we went to Panama. I, I was going to make cabinets because our, our house was, go figure, our house was unfinished. We built this house, we moved in, and, and we were going to finish it little by little. So I started by, by making some cabinets. They would were, they were be like pantry cabinets. And I was going to make two. And I, I made the shell, I made the doors. I got this cool trim, and I, I cut it out, and I put the trim on it, and, and it, it would appear that it was done, but I didn't pay attention to all the details. I started the second one, and you could imagine that the second one was less done than the first one, because I didn't pay attention to all the details. It didn't have handles on it. It, it, it was never... Had, had finished trim on it, and, and the second one, I don't even know if, I, I might have had doors on the bottom, but I didn't have doors on the top, and so we, we fail to finish projects that we start for various reasons. Sometimes it's, it's too time-consuming. Sometimes it's the issue of, of money, and it, it costs more money to finish it off, and it's, it's functional. It, it works. Why do I need to finish it? Sometimes it's just difficulty and, and, and you might lose interest. But oftentimes we finish it to the point that it's functional. And that's good enough for us, for me. It's functional. 
our house in Panama never got finished until we were ready to sell it. And we had to sell it to put it on the market. I mean, we had to finish it before we could put it on the market. So there you go. You, you, you start spending money and, and finishing off all the details that a house should have. We finished it. We sold it. But I still lack the, I don't know, the stick to itiveness to finish a project. Anyway, that's what we find in, in the history of the children of Israel. They don't pay attention to the detail as they move in and take possession of the land that was promised to them. They occupy the promised land, but they didn't do everything that God told them to do. So here's the key verse, kids, adults. Here's the key verse as we go into this section of the book. And it's, it's not going to be about one verse or one chapter. It's going to be an overview and go beyond Joshua of, of the, the problem with Israel. So here's the key verse, Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. God said to Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. That, that's a tremendous promise, knowing that God, just as God was with Moses, he's going to be with Joshua. He would never fail him or forsake him. Now, Joshua wasn't like Moses, and, and we're in a transition. The transition has, has, made, has, has happened from Pastor Tim to Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve isn't like Pastor Tim. The first thing you might notice, because he's a lot shorter than Pastor Tim. But looking at, at Joshua and Moses, we're going to see the same thing in our transition. And again, I... I think back to my, my family in Panama, the difference between Pastor Mark and Pastor David. Different men. Moses was a different man. Moses was a shepherd. Joshua, what child can tell me what kind of person was Joshua? What was his profession? Kids, what was Joshua's profession? What did he do? Yes, he was a warrior. He was a warrior. Isn't that interesting? They're at the point in history where they're going to go in and take over their land. So they didn't have a shepherd leading them. They had a warrior. Okay? Moses was raised in, in Egypt in, the, in the, the house of Pharaoh. Joshua was raised in Egypt as a slave as a worker. But Moses had a relationship with God that when we look at the end of the book of Deuteronomy that, that says that, that no prophet in Israel has arisen like Moses who knew God face to face. That's a close relationship with God. Now listen. God said, to Mo, God said to Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Okay? So there was the promise. 
Here's the pattern. Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. They answered, this is when, when Joshua is saying, he's the new leader, he's going to lead them in. And, and the children of Israel answered Joshua saying in verse 16, all that you have commanded us we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And we knew he was. God said he would be. So that was the condition. Is We're going to follow you, only that the Lord be with you. The Lord said he would be with him. So we, we go to this transition thing. Excuse me. We certainly know God was upon Pastor Tim as he led Grace Church of Menor, right? And we know that in this church and in many other churches, they, they practice 2 Timothy 2, 2, where there is this succession that, that we here raise up men within our ministry, we prepare them, and they take over because no one is going to stand behind this pulpit forever. We get old, we get sick, we die. It's our responsibility to prepare the next generation. Well, the next generation was Pastor Steve and Pastor Mike. Brandon is in that succession now. And, and what, what is the same with Pastor Tim as it is with Pastor Steve is that God's hand is upon him. And so to be obedient unto the word, as God was with Pastor Tim, so he will be with Pastor Steve. And every other pastor, as God was with Pastor Potter Sr., he would be with Pastor Tim and Pastor Tim to Pastor Steve and on and on and on that succession goes. It's something perpetual until the day he returns. That was the pattern. We'll obey Moses, I'm sorry, we'll obey you as we obeyed Moses, only that the Lord be with you. And I started to think, well, wait a minute, that's not a good thing. All they did was bellyache with Moses, Right? But here we are in the promised land, and what has happened in the wilderness? All those people that rebelled, they have since passed, right? 20 years old and above. They have since passed. This is the new generation that has gone in to take possession of the promised land. So we, if, if you want a little background with that, you can go to Numbers chapter 13. That's when, when Moses sent the spies in. And then Moses, uh, excuse me, Joshua, excuse me, Numbers 14, they bring back the evil report and their rebellion, and, and God tells them that, that everyone 20 years old and above, you're, you're going to die in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. So this is a new generation of the tribes of Israel. And I, this helped, this caused me to think even more. Why did not this generation bellyache, and I'm going to say bellyache, like the older generation? Because normally that's what happens, isn't it? Our, our kids learn from us, don't they? That's the, that's the bottom line. If we're negative people, more than likely we're going to have negative kids. If we're bellyaching people, normally, normally we're going to have bellyaching kids, complaining kids. If we're grateful, if we're kind, normally that's what kind of kids we're going to have because they learn from us. They pattern their lives. And I say normally. So what happened here? Between that, that grumbling generation that all died in the wilderness 
and the, the, the generation of 20 years below and, up and, and, and down, that they came and became an obedient nation as we obeyed Moses. So there was a point where that new generation started obeying Moses, and they followed him. To this point, okay, as long as the Lord's with you, we're going to follow you just like we followed Moses. I don't know. Maybe that was God's sovereign hand causing these, these, this new generation to obey. I don't know. But it certainly is a point of interest for me. And it's, it can be a point of practical application for you right now. Your testimony, the way you live your life before your kids is going to teach them what your values are, where your priorities lie, what's important to you, what you don't like, what you practice. They're all going to learn from that. Let's make it our point, my friends. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Let's make it our point to train up our kids to pattern our lives in a holy fashion that the kids coming behind us, that generation coming behind us, learn what it means to walk in an upright way before the Lord. So now we go to the proclamation. So we've seen the promise. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. We see the pattern. Just as we obeyed Moses, the children of Israel said, we will obey you in all things. Only the Lord be with you. And now we have the proclamation. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 20. So follow me to Deuteronomy chapter 20. We're going to do quite a bit of reading, and, I, and uh, yeah, there's time. And it's important because this is a historical book, so we gotta we got to have some history here, right? Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4. This is what the word says. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who brought you up, I'm sorry, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. When you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people. He shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemy today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. So who's doing, who's doing the fighting? God is, right? God is. But what is interesting about this? He involves his people, right? He involves his people. Let's jump down to verse 16. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. Now prior to that, he talks about cities where they go and they, they might seek peace. And if they agree to peace, then that's okay. But if they don't, then you need to wipe out the men and you can, you can take the women and the children and the, the animals as, as booty. Uh, but here, and those are the cities outside of the promised land. 
Those aren't the cities of, of Canaan. But here in verse 15, it says, Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you. That's in reference to, to the verses prior about seeking peace and going into a peace agreement with them. Verse, verse 15 again, Thus you shall you do all to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations nearby. Again, that is in reference to the promised land. Only, okay, now listen really carefully here. Only in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes. That's pretty, anything that breathes. So that's man, woman, child, baby, animal, anything that breathes. Let's continue reading. Verse 17. But you shall utterly destroy them. That is what God wants Israel to do as they occupy the promised land. And he's going to give us a reason. But you shall utterly destroy them, says verse 17. The Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, and the Perizzite, the Hevite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Here's the reason. So that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things which they have done for their gods so that you would sin against the Lord your God. So there's a purpose in this complete annihilation of these people and their things. Anything that breathes is supposed to be wiped out. Let's go real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. This isn't a new concept for the children of Israel. They've heard it before. I'm going to begin at verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. That's pretty hard, isn't it? But there's a purpose behind this. There's a purpose behind this. Furthermore, the Lord says, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me and serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord and the, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you, thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars their, and hewn, hewn down their ashram and burn their graven images with fire. For, here's the purpose, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples 
who are on the face of the earth. Okay, so it was, it was quite clear that when they went to occupy the promised land, they were to wipe out everything that breathes. Right? Now we get back to Joshua. Chapter 13. Verse 1 says, The Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and very much of the land remains to be possessed. Okay, they possess some of it, but very much of it remains to be possessed. Verse 6 says, I will drive them out before the sons of Israel. God himself is driving out these people. Now we know they were called to battle. God used the children of Israel for the battle. He didn't just, the, the children of Israel didn't just sit back and say, Get them, God. No, they had to participate in the battle. They had to go and wipe out these peoples and their animals. Okay? So here's the problem. So we, we, saw, the, we saw the promise, we saw the, the uh, pattern, we saw the proclamation, and now the problem. Joshua, if you're still in chapter 13, verse 13, but the sons of Israel did not possess... I'm sorry, dispossess the Gergeshites, the Gersherites, excuse me, and the Machanites. For Gesher and Macheth live among Israel unto this day. Chapter 15, verse 63. You don't have to, you, you could listen or you could follow me there. Joshua 15, 63. Now the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Israel, the sons of Judah, could not drive them out. So the Jebusites live with the sons of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. Chapter 16, verse 10. But they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. Pastor Ken already explained that the Canaanites were, were, were from uh, the children of Ham, the, the son of Noah. They were a perverse people and it was necessary to wipe them out. Well, they didn't. Well, well, no, this is good enough. We'll make them slaves. Can't drive them out. We'll make them slaves. Why couldn't they drive them out? Because they didn't trust the Lord, right? They didn't trust the Lord. Chapter 17, verses 12 through 13, and it's, this is all Joshua. But the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities because the Canaanites persisted in living in the land. They put the Canaanites to forced labor. Oh, that's okay. We'll, we'll just make them our slaves. But they did not drive them out completely. Now let's go to the book of Judges, chapter 1. Th this is all important to, to establish my point, folks. I, I apologize for jumping around, but we, we need to do this reading. Okay, so Judges, chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 27. And I'll read to verse 33. Judges chapter 1, verse 27. But Manasseh, Manasseh did not take possession of Bethshin and its villages, or Tanak 
and its villages, or the inhabitants, or the inhabitants of Dor, and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblim, and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo, and its villages. So the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. It came about when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. <clears throat> what were they supposed to do? Eliminate them completely, everything that breathes. They didn't. They put them to forced labor, thinking that that was okay. Verse 29, if Ephraim, I'm probably saying that in, in Spanish, I, whatever, did not drive out the Canaanites who were living in Gezer, so the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nanol. Na <laughs> wow, I didn't think these were going to be that hard to say. So the Canaanites lived among them and became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Echo or the inhabitants of Sidon, or of Elab, or of Achiz. <laughs> you, you see the words there, right? So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nephtali did not drive out the inhabitants of, of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, <clears throat> but lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, and the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced labor, labor for them. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Maybe they had a better plan. Well, well, instead of killing them all, let's Let's make them our slaves. That would be more beneficial, less brutal. Well, that leaves a problem. And I'm going to illustrate the problem this way, and then we'll see it later on in the scripture. We know what happens, but... When we lived in Jug County, we had a septic system. And so we had 2,000 gallon tanks, and then we had a septic, we had a leach bed out in the front yard that the water would go, and it would just leach out of the tubes, and it would filtrate into the ground. That was the, the, the way that we handled our waste products. Uh, and every several years, you needed to have those tanks, those 1,000 gallon tanks, cleaned out. So I don't know why, I, I like gross stuff. And so we, we called the guy and he came out to the house with his, his big machine that, that sucks up all the gross stuff out of the tanks and he took the, the top off the tank and you know what sewers smell like, right? Well, this, this is way worse than sewers. But I, I, I had to look in, I, I had to see what it looked like because you know, I like gross stuff. Anyway, so when I looked into this tank, I saw what seemed like foam sitting on top of the water. So the tank was probably halfway full, and there was this, this sudsy foam. And so when the guy, when the technician got his hose and he put it down there to suction up this stuff, it turned out to be that it was fungus that was like that thick, that was growing on top of the, the, the liquid stuff, the, the liquid grossness, okay? So he would take that hose and he would be 
sitting it down and he had to tear it up because it was just growing all together. <clears throat> he was tearing it up, sucking it out. I don't remember how much it cost, but when he was done, I looked in and I just saw the, the, the liquid grossness. And then in the corner of the tank, I saw a little bit of that fungus that was still there. I'm like, hey, I'm paying you to clean the tank out. He says, no, I have to leave that there because that's going to multiply and grow and cover the face of the liquid, the liquid grossness. Again, it's, it's part of the system. So that little bit that he left grew again and covered and it helped the septic system operate the way it was supposed to be. I think you see my point. The Israelites went in, they drove out, let's just say a bunch of the Canaanites but they couldn't do it to all the Canaanites. The Canaanites multiplied, and it, it was like this tribe couldn't drive them out, and the next tribe couldn't drive them out, and the next tribe couldn't drive them out, and just left them there. They made them forced labor, and you just know what's going to happen. They began to, well, we see that in the book of Judges, they're, they're still dealing with the Canaanites. If, if you go to Samuel, if you go to Kings, you go to Chronicles, that they're still dealing with the Jebusites. If we go to the book of Ezra, it tells us what we would expect to happen when you don't follow God's plan. Why did God tell them to eliminate this whole group of people? Don't intermarry. Don't give your, your boys to their women. Don't take their women for your boys. They will turn your hearts from God, right? Go to Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9, and it's the, the logical conclusion of, of what would happen when you don't follow God's plan, when you don't pay attention to detail. Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 says, Now when these things had been completed, the princes approached me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands according to their abominations. Those of who? The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites, all those that they were supposed to drive out, all those that they were supposed to eliminate everything that breathed, and they didn't. And here we are now in Ezra. For they have, it says, for they have taken some of their daughters as, their as, as wives for themselves and for their son. Exactly what God said not to do, they did. So the holy race has intermingled with the peoples of the land. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. God said you need to wipe out everything that breathes because if you don't, this is what's going to happen and look what happened. Because they didn't pay attention to detail. They didn't eliminate. I know it sounds harsh, but God knows everything that breathes. Sometimes we think we know better than God or that he, he, he doesn't have all the details, right? He doesn't... He doesn't know all the ins and outs of the situation. And, and I think of King Saul when, when he was told 
to, to go to uh, Amalek and utterly destroy him. In, in 1 Kings, I'm sorry, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says, now, now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him. Strike him. Do not spare him. But put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. It sounds almost like everything that breathes. Saul goes, we see in verse 9, but Saul. We are, there's problems, but Saul. This isn't like but God in Ephesians. This is but Saul, which means there's problems. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless, according to them, they did. They utterly destroyed it. We know how that turned out for Saul. Samuel comes, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? What are you doing? Saul had a better plan. So he thought. That was the beginning of Saul's downfall. God clearly calls this disobedience. Go to Judges again, please. Chapter 2. Disobedience. Judges chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say, Now the angel of the Lord came, upon, came up from Gilgal to Bacham, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into a land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. As for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. And what's it say? But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? You have not obeyed me. Don't we say a partial truth? Someone help me out. A partial truth is what? A what? A full what? A full lie. A partial truth is a full lie. So do you think we could say that partial obedience is full disobedience? Right? Partial obedience is full disobedience. If I were to tell my son... Luke, take the garbage out, put it in the dumpster, take the dumpster to the street, and when the truck passes by to empty it, make sure you bring the dumpster back in the garage. And Luke takes out the garbage and leaves it in the dumpster and never takes the dumpster out. Did Luke obey me? Well, I mean, he took the garbage out, but did he obey me? No. I said, take the dumpster to the street, and when it's empty, bring it back in the garage. That was the instructions. He partially obeyed, but in reality, he completely disobeyed. Think about what the Israelites did. They partially obeyed. They went in, and they occupied the land, but they didn't, they didn't destroy everything that breathed. And then, in fact, they did everything that God told them not to do. They, they, they took in 
they intermingled, they married, and then the leaders, the princes and the rulers uh, of the nation were the, the foremost in this unfaithfulness. God calls that oh, disobedience. So for us today, what is it that God is calling you to do or to be in all the details of it? In all the details of it, what is it? Think individually. So we're going to start as an individual, and then we're going to start as a church. What is it that God wants his church to be or do? And folks, it's all written out in the scripture. It's all written out. There's no guesswork. We have the scripture as our guide. This morning in our M&M's group, we're, we're dealing with the holiness of God and, and what that and how we are to respond for, to that. Last week, we ended with be holy for I am holy. So we, we can start there. God is calling us to be holy in our practice. We're holy before him because now we, we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, there's the practical aspect, practical aspect that we need to walk out, we need to live out. And that word holy, if you've been with us for the past two weeks, it also means separated. And what are, to be, what are we as individuals to be separate from? I can think of five things right off the get-go. We're to be separate from sin. We're to be separate from compromise. We're to be separate from worldliness. We're to be separate from apostasy. And we're to be separate from a disobedient brother. Five things to be separate, separated from as we honor God as his people. What happens if I'm separate from sin and I'm separate from worldliness? I'm separate from compromise. I'm separate from apostasy, but I'm not separate from that disobedient brother, and I pal around with that disobedient brother of which I'm not even supposed to eat. I'm giving approval to his behavior. And that Thessalonian passage tells us that we are to be separate from him, that he might be ashamed with the end goal of being restored. That's what the scripture teaches. Am I being obedient as a child of God if I obey in these first four and not that last one? No. And you can interchange any one of those. If you, a brother or sister in Christ, I'll tell you right now, if you're willing to tolerate sin in your life, you are going not, as Pastor Steve said, you will not be useful in God's family. That sin has caused a division between you and God. So what is it that God is calling you to do that you're not pay attention, paying attention to all the details? Certainly in our lives, in all our lives, there's something that we can put on. I'm, I'm, I'm dropping the ball right here. I'm not doing this. I'm not being obedient. Lord, help us to, to pay attention to the details and finish what he's called us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for our time together this evening. Lord, I pray that you would eliminate anything that I said that wasn't in agreement with your word. 
and just use your word and that it would penetrate deep into the hearts of the listeners, even into the hearts of our children, to cause change, godly change, everlasting change, and that you would be exalted and glorified through it. Lord, I thank you for our time together. Thank you for this Lord's Day. I pray, Lord, that as the week progresses, we just continue to reflect on what took place today and what you have in store for us for the future, Lord, that we, as your children, would walk in a holy manner, taking advantage of the opportunities that you place before us to be your ambassadors, to further the kingdom of God. Lord, we just commit these things into thy hand. I thank you for your church, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Might we be determined, Lord, to, to live before you in a, in a way that's pleasing unto thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, kids, you can come on up if you have your papers. I look forward to seeing your papers. And then I'll, I have goodies.